No, but we do have a whistle, a foul. Ben just went after our test. We got trouble right here in the Motor City. We got big trouble here at Remember That Guy, the show where we mine our memories for nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players past and present. I'm one of your hosts, James, and that's going to be a uh, suspension. Diaz with you once again. And James, what you just said is such intense foreshadowing. I can't wait to get to that later. But with us also, again, a special guest, a man who was actually courtside for that infamous Malice at the Palace. Please introduce yourself, sir. Yeah, that's right. You know, I'm actually the one who talked to Ron Artest afterwards and convinced him to change his name to Meta World Peace. It's me, the very special guest, Xavier. I just want to say the only thing that those athletes did wrong was attacking the wrong fan. If they got the right fan, then there's nothing. There's nothing that, that we have to say about them. The only thing they did wrong was, unfortunately, get the wrong guy. I love the clip of it because, like, you can see the guy who they do attack goes so quickly from, oh my god, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen, to, oh no, he's coming right at me. The discourse around that, too, at the time, and the Netflix <clears throat> documentary that they put together on this is actually a great watch. I would highly recommend anybody who hasn't seen that to go check that out. But what they really show in that is afterwards, like, the players were treated like they were the bad guys in this case. Like fans throwing it's madness i remember on sports talk radio the next day this is like my most early memory of the absurdity of sports talk radio there's a guy that was saying like i don't care if they have bb guns you don't go at them and i was like what a take it's a bit of an escalation well just as we did touch on this is the player formerly known as ron artess given that he is now not even that person anymore he's met a world peace now we don't want to focus on the past too much. We want to move into the present. And we want to talk about who's making memories for us right now. Uh, Xavier, our, our guest, why don't we have you lead off? Yeah, you know, tonight when we are recording is the night of the NBA draft. Uh, and the Knicks might not do something smart. They might not do something good for the future. But they'll probably do something. And it will be entertaining, whatever they decide to do. Will they trade up and give away the farm to try to get Jaden Ivey at four or five? Maybe. Will they try to get Shaden Sharp at seven or eight? Maybe. Will they trade their 11 pick for Malcolm Brogdon, whose knees don't exist? Also, maybe. Will they just decide to say fuck it and trade out of the draft entirely or trade down 20 spots to Memphis uh, just in order to get rid of some contracts to make a run at Jalen Brunson? All of these things are possibilities. Are any of them better than the others? Who knows? Because I thought the Knicks were going to be good last year, and they were crap. So, you know what? Something interesting is going to happen, and I'm just here for the ride. So I'm going to watch and not judge anything that happens. Unless they trade for Kyrie, then I will judge it. (laughs) What a meltdown in Brooklyn. The team that comes out looking the best for all of this is Houston because they own all of their picks and all of those pick swaps for, I think, like seven years because of the Harden trade. I'd be pretty upset if Kyrie Irving if I was Kevin Durant. I'm, I'm very impressed by their maintaining a, a friendly relationship by all appearances. I'd still be very upset at Ben Simmons if I was Seth Curry. Seth was the rider clause that had to be activated <laughs> in order for Philadelphia to know true peace again. It was really unfortunate 
but it was something that had to happen. And what really struck me with it was in Hustle, Seth Curry is on the Sixers in Hustle. There's scenes with him on the Sixers. And that really hurts. It should have stayed that way. It dragged into the crossfire, as did Andre Drummond. Andre wasn't here as long, but we still liked him. I, oof. There's no way either of them talked to him, right? No, I mean, and now they're on a sinking ship for so many reasons. I'm, I almost feel bad for Ben Simmons, to be completely honest. No. I said well, almost. I mean, in theory, if you listen to like everything that Rich Paul was saying, like we want him in a marquee location, but we want him playing with no expectations. And if the Nets are just an empty franchise and he comes in, that is very low pressure. That could end up being the best thing for him. He can make a run at uh, Brooke Lopez as the all-time leading scorer for the Nets. <laughs> One passed up dunk over Trey Young at a time. Uh, well, speaking of your fond memories of passed up dunks of Trey Young, uh, how you doing right now, Diaz? I'm doing well. We'll we'll touch on some dunks and my opinions on dunks later on. But for now, uh, focusing on what's making memories for me, and uh, I'm gonna go to the minor league baseball game that we actually were both in attendance at on Tuesday. Tuesday the 21st, yes indeed, Tuesday, June 21st. We're able to see Aberdeen play Wilmington, and what was really delightful about it for me was we are also all three in a fantasy baseball league together. This fantasy baseball league, we also have guys in the minor leagues, and was able to see two of my players live and in person, Colton Kowser and Yusniel Diaz, Yusniel down on a rehab assignment, and... Colton actually had a conversation with you, James. It was some great. Say, don't third say so you, Hey, you got some lines in there. You were a part of that back and forth. You were the main participant, though. You were the protagonist. I was like the the the, the buddy that makes like the witty comment real quick, gets a slight chuckle. But the main conversation was you. I had the BAC and the energy level. <laughs> a perfect combination. Well, I'm not going to lie, Diaz, that's perfect because my memories were also made there at that minor league game, but I wasn't focusing on any of the prospects. I wasn't focusing on anything other than my absolute favorite part of Wilmington Blue Rocks games, which is their secondary mascot, not Rocky Bullwinkle, who's, you know, the mascot on all of their hats and logos and jerseys. No, instead, I want to talk about Mr. Celery. Love Mr. Celery. For those who do not know, at Wilmington Blue Rocks, which is the high A affiliate currently of the Washington Nationals, previously for most of our lifetimes, it was the Kansas City Royals, briefly the Boston Red Sox. Anyway, during all of this time, since 2000, Mr. Celery comes out onto the field every time the Blue Rocks score a run to Song 2 by Blur, blaring as he runs out, high fives a couple people, and then goes back into the tunnel. If you're at the game, he goes back into the tunnel, and then you can look in the tunnel and see him just staring and waiting in the tunnel to see if the Blue Rocks are going to score again. It's, uh, it's a little bit intimidating. I had to understand where Mr. Celery came from. All credit in the world to SB Nation. They had the same burning question a couple years back, and they did the legwork to get that. So I do want to tell you real quick about GM Chris Kempel, who in 1999 goes to Lake Elsinore, California. The Padres have an affiliate there called The Storm. And every time the Storm score, they had a pink bunny that was like a knockoff Energizer bunny come onto the field and cheer. And Chris Kempel's, I want that. So he comes back, and he's talking with some interns about this, trying to get ideas. Recently, the concession provider for the Wilmington Blue Rocks at that time, Centerplate, had had a night where they were like, yeah, everybody eat healthier. And they had brought a bunch of vegetable costumes, including a carrot, a tomato, 
and a stalk of celery, among others. This one intern, Ryan McCullough, points out that they left the celery costume behind. And so, just in a moment of sheer brilliance, Chris Kempel and this intern, Ryan McCullough, he puts on the celery costume, starts coming out that night. It's an immediate hit, in particular, thanks to some fans of his, the Celery Stalkers. The original Celery Stalkers were the University of Delaware Celery Squad, organized by University of Delaware students that would come and bang pots and pans with celery stalks whenever he came out. George Brett, Kansas City Royal great, huge fan of Mr. Celery. He came at one point to the game and just thought that it was the best promotion that he'd ever seen. Some interesting things about Mr. Celery, he does not get booked outside of Frawley Stadium. You will never see him leave the stadium. That's part of the mystique of Mr. Celery. He just lives in the bowels and only comes out when they score a run. Never any other time. Apparently, they are probably on the fifth costume, they estimate. There is a new logo now of him, a cartoon. One, they sell all kinds of Mr. Celery merch. It is a little weird now because he uses a celery stalk as a bat. So it's like a person holding (laughs) a, a dead person as a bat. There are three highlights in the history of Mr. Celery, I want to say, before we move on from Mr. Celery. One, other teams sometimes hate him. A Cleveland affiliate from Kinston, North Carolina, did not take kindly to the dancing at all, and so in the late aughts, they stole the costume during a game. At one point, they scored, and everyone's looking around like, where's Mr. Celery? The costume was just missing. It was replaced later on during that series, but it was stolen at least once. During a 50-state, 50-sporting event thing that ESPN ran in 2005, they came to Wilmington for this. Unfortunately, for three days, the Wilmington Blue Rocks did not score a run, and so they had to stage a Mr. Celery performance. It's the only time in Mr. Celery's history he has ever come out when the Blue Rocks did not score a run ahead of time. Finally, I do want to talk about the fact that the Blue Rocks recognize what they have. They do appreciate this, and so... On July 31st, 2017, they did have a celery bration for Mr. Celery. Everyone that came into the game was handed a celery stalk at the gate because right before the game, they organized a pregame world's largest celery snap. They had everyone hold their celery stalks in the air and coordinated a countdown 3-2-1 celery snap. No official word on whether or not Guinness was there to view it. But I have to imagine that was probably the world's largest celery snap. Also, during that game, you could go to the concession stand and get an order of five celery stalks and any number of dipping sauces. Uh, Mr. Celery Forever, that's who's making memories for me. I wish I was still in contact with my old sports law professor because we had many conversations about the Blue Rocks and Mr. Celery because he is one of the owners of the Blue Rocks. Unfortunately, I was not able to go to the game with, with you two, but... Big, big Blue Rocks fan. I will have to give Ken Jacobson a call, see if he wants to give us some inside uh, information on uh, Mr. Celery. to know anymore. I know just enough now to answer my questions. I need the rest <laughs> of it to remain mystique. I want to keep a certain amount of veil over my eyes with this. And the thing about truly great art is that, that it does leave some to the interpretation. Exactly. Mr. Celery is an art piece. I could not agree more a now two-decade-plus-running installation art piece, performance piece, mixed media, as we like to say in the biz. So, again, thank you, Mr. Salary. But enough about things that we love. We want to talk real quick about our sponsor, Haterade, who is there for you anytime you've got a thirst for vengeance. Make sure to sip on that Haterade. Reach for a nice cold bottle. We today are not going to be inducting anyone into the Hall of Guy. We are interested in people that we will never, ever, in the history 
the eternal, everlasting history of this institution bring into these halls. That's right, just as Diaz alluded to last week, it's a ban episode. Band on the run. Any any other band puns? Bands that make her dance. Ba- bands that make her dance. The, Dave, you're, you got one? Battle no. of the Bands? Is this uh, anything? I don't I was going to say band in the USA, but that's nothing. So, you know. No, it's, that's it's, something. That was a two live crew song. That works. But, that was on the same album as, uh, I believe, Me So Horny. You know what? Memento Core, the first band forever, needs some company in the never allowed in non-wing of the Hall of Guys. So I'm glad that Memento Core will be joined by people who are just as awful as he is. True. And and I have to credit you, this was an excellent idea, and I would be honored if you wanted to to kind of speak on it a little bit more before uh, getting us started. Absolutely. It's just, it's important, I think, with any institution to not only celebrate those that are important to them, but also to protect those that are important to them. And it would be a shame if this group, if this guy, Bunel, did not recognize both of those responsibilities, not only to honor, but also to protect. We would be derelict in our duties. So I think it's just really important. Who cannot be allowed in is just as important as who is in. So we've each brought three guys to this table that we're going to hit on. And we're going to say that they will never again be referred to as anything relating to a guy. None of the, they, these people are not guys. From this moment on, they are not guys. Solely people, no longer guys. And if I may, I'd like to get into my first... How do, how do we want to say it? Because it's not a nomination. It is a... I, I you're bring your charges. first ban. Your first ban. First ban, yeah. My first prosecution. I think that's how <laughs> Sure. And the first one that I want to bring up is... The most overrated dunker in the history of the National Basketball Association. Person that is the only person to win three slam dunk contests. But if you stick with me here, I'm going to explain to you why he never should have won any of them. They're all bullshit. A fraudulent basketball player and a fraudulent boxer who was knocked out by Jake Paul in the second round. I'm talking about Nate Robinson. You must never be allowed to grace this hall. Aww. Listen, I, I expect that from you, Knicks fan. But I, I think you'll understand after I go on this little rant right here why it is important that we do not let him in. First of all, his first claim to fame is the 2006 slam dunk contest. As a rookie coming in at 5'9", he actually wins the dunk contest and is possibly a reason why he is able to stick in the league as long as he did. He wasn't a particularly effective player until that one little run with Chicago later in his career. But anyway, I digress. The 2006 slam dunk contest, the person who he beat that night was Philadelphia 76er Andre Iguodala. And this was the most bullshit slam dunk contest championship of all time. Because for some reason for this year, and I think it's very clear why, because they knew that the little guy was going to need as many chances as possible, the judges were instructed to grade every dunk as if it had been completed on the first time. If they did this the first try, what score would you give them? Dunkers were also allowed unlimited opportunities to dunk. And so, on his final dunk in the championship round, Nate Robinson takes 14 attempts before he finally actually manages to complete the dunk that he was doing. And based on that, he ends up winning the slam dunk contest. Now, not only was that bullshit, because Andre Godala won the 2006 slam dunk contest, his most impressive dunk of the night 
was in the first round. He brought out Spud Webb to dunk over. Now, it's a good tribute. It's maybe a little sentimental. But Spud Webb is fucking like 5'7". And by this yeah, time, Spud Webb's shorter than you, and your whole bit is that you're the shortest guy in the dunk contest. He's dunking over a little guy. Like, you could bring out, like, a fifth grader who would be the same height. It's not going to be impressive, and it's not going to matter. So, the first one, 2006, bullshit. 2009 is the second time that he wins it. His best dunk this time is that he jumps over Dwight Howard. Now, Dwight Howard, much taller, sounds more impressive. I don't know why he gets credit for this, because he very clearly, almost as he's jumping, already has his hand on Dwight's shoulder to push himself up to get up over him. So that doesn't really count. Frederick Weiss got actually cleared, and I respect him for that. Vince Carter didn't have to put a hand down. but Vince Carter did it in one try also. And also did it in one try. I think that's very important. 2010 had a very, very poor showing, actually, in the finals. The first dunk... He couldn't go between the legs. They instituted a two-minute limit at this time. So you have as many opportunities in two minutes to do a dunk. So he couldn't go between the legs, so he had to bail on it for just a very standard dunk in his first attempt. Second one was better. He did like a little double pump thing. But here's the thing. DeMar DeRozan had two great dunks, the second of which was a one-handed lob that he threw himself off the backboard and jumped over a teammate in catching it. Threw it one hand, caught it one hand, jumped over, cleared him, dunked it. And that wasn't enough to win the title. Also, 2009-2010, I can't allege any corruption amongst the judges. What I can allege corruption amongst is the NBA. Because these two were judged by a fan vote. Fans were just to text in their votes, and whoever the fans decided is who was going to win. This isn't like American democracy. There's no way for us to audit the votes. There's no way for us to ensure integrity in the voting process. And this is David Stern. David Stern is alleged to have arranged many conspiracies. Do you think rigging the dunk contest so that Nate Robinson, the little guy that brings in the ratings, wins? You don't think that that would be beneath him? That is exactly in our brother David Stern's wheelhouse. Getting on from that, not even just basketball. He's affected many sports with his bullshit. Um, in 2016, he stole a practice squad spot from a legitimate Seahawk player so that he could participate in their summer mini camps. Oh, just to like live out his little Washington. dream. Yes, he, well, he did play college football at Washington. Well, this is 2016. This is 10 years after he entered the NBA. This is bullshit. Not an actual thing. There was never a chance of him actually doing anything, and that's... Evidenced by the fact that he wasn't invited to training camp. So that's bullshit. And then, of course, as I alluded when introducing him, got his ass knocked out by Jake Paul. Very badly. It would be one thing if it was like, oh, okay, Jake's like bigger than you, so he won. But at least you didn't like go out like a bitch. Like he swung wildly. Like he didn't even look like he knew what he was doing. I doubt how much he actually trained. And anybody that thinks that they can just waltz in to some sport without any honoring of its craft is not a guy, not a person, that I want to grace these halls. So, fuck Nate Robinson. That's my first guy. Nate Robinson, you banned. But you know what, Xavier? We can make it up to you if you would like to now take that anger out on somebody else. Yeah, you know, it, it's all right. It, it's a good thing, though, that um, I'm not wearing a Nate Robinson jersey right now. That would have been awkward. Also, I did probably vote for Nate Robinson during that slam dunk contest while I was in high school, you know, as a rigged vote, 16 year old. So there's a good chance I did that. 
but it's okay. I'm, I am very deferential here, but I will graciously take up this offer to go next. And the first person that I want to uh, ban from our illustrious hall is Josh Beckett. Yes. Yes, please Red tell so- me about Red how Sox much you hate right? Josh Beckett. You you both know I'm not I'm not a very angry person or you know, should I say I don't get angry often. The very few times I do get angry, I get very angry. But, you know, Josh Beckett is a very interesting case here because started off on the Marlins and 2003 Marlins, you know, in their second ever postseason appearance make the World Series again, and they're against the Yankees. In, uh, what was it, game three, seven and a third innings, 10 strikeouts, gets a win. Game six on just, uh, like, three days rest, complete game shutout with nine strikeouts and gets the final out. And it's just like, wow, this guy is going to destroy the Yankees forever. And he gets straight to the Red Sox. It's like, oh, no, it's even like, worse. Oh, he's actually going to destroy the Yankees forever. And then, you know, I want this, this, this data is from 2010. You know, I don't have the baseball reference premium that allows you to make tables, but I can see tables that other people have made. And he didn't pitch too long after this, so pretty accurate. 21 games against the Yankees from the time he started, not counting the postseason, through 2010. 21 games started. He had the highest ERA against the Yankees of any pitcher ever, with a 6.23 ERA, which only got worse after this. He was the worst pitcher to ever pitch against the Yankees for a consistent time after he had already beat them in the World Series with two incredible performances. So it's almost like he used up all his good ability against the Yankees in that one moment. And I'm like, you couldn't just been average for your whole career, you know, if you were average with a four ERA against the Yankees, but didn't have two incredible World Series performances, like you chose that time to be the best you were ever going to be ever. And just like, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't as frustrating at the time because 2003 Yankees, I had just seen them win four titles in five years. But looking back on it, it's way more frustrating because of Yankees not being that great since then. So Josh Beckett for somehow being awful against the Yankees forever, except for the first two times he faced them in the World Series. Very frustrating player to me. I I do not want him in the hall of guy ever. So I I just want to ban him. Josh Beckett, you banned. I can't stand Josh Beckett. I'm absolutely happy with this. You know who else I can't stand? Who's that? We mentioned this last week, but I cannot stand Zaza Pachulia. (laughs) Zaza Pachulia is, okay, I will admit, currently, he has probably moved to second in my power rankings of least favorite people from Georgia ever. He's behind Herschel Walker. (laughs) Anyway, there was a 16-month period where Zaza Pachulia just decided to be the worst human being ever in relation to Kawhi Leonard. Starts on January 21st, 2016. When we find out that Dallas fans had so thoroughly attempted to stuff the online ballot box for the NBA All-Star starters that Zaza Pachulia came in second to Kawhi Leonard by only 14,227 votes out of nearly a million casts between the two. Next up, less than a month later, before that All-Star game even happens, maybe mad about not making the All-Star game, in a Spurs-Mavericks game, 
Zaza Pachulia and Kawhi Leonard as they chase after a ball. Uh, Zaza Pachulia goes down, realizes he's not going to get that ball because he's not a very good athlete. And Kawhi Leonard at the time was at the worst second best player in the NBA. So he decides, well, you know what, since I suck at basketball and I'm suddenly up against someone who's very, very good at this, I'm just going to hook my arm around his elbow and drop to the ground. Let's see if I can break his arm real quick. This was met with a lot of anger by Spurs Nation. We hated Zaza Pachulia for this very, very much. There was one final game that year between the Mavs and the Spurs. Spurs had already won 66 games that season. They did win the 67th, but Kawhi Leonard did not play in that game. So they did not have a chance to settle this any further because Dallas lost in the first round because they employed Zaza Pachulia, and he sucks. Unfortunately, a very good team decided to employ Zaza Pachulia next year, and that was the Golden State Warriors. Now, in three regular season meetings, two where Kawhi Leonard actually suited up, nothing happens. But finally, here's that 16 months. Just about 16 months after, these all-star totals start all of this. The all-star vote totals in January started this war that culminates... On May 14th, 2017, it's Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals. It is the first time that the Warriors in their ascendance have had to play the Spurs in their descent, admittedly, from their peak. Yes, they had a playoff series in 2013, but even four years later, wildly different NBA. And I'm not saying that I think the Spurs would have won. I think we can all agree the Spurs probably would not have won. But I think... Now, I would probably like to look back on that series as being an actual passing of the torch instead of what it was, which was a massacre at the hands of one international criminal, Zaza Pachulia, who in game one of this series, noticing that his team is down 21 points because, again, they employ one of the worst basketball players in history, Zaza Pachulia, he decides, you know what, I have not done enough to injure this Kawhi Leonard gentleman. What I need to do is as he takes a three, sorry, takes a two. Is actually going to come to me because that's going to affect the number of foul shots that Kawhi Leonard gets in a moment. Because Zaza Pachulia does foul Kawhi Leonard. He fouls him by sliding his foot innocently underneath Kawhi's. Kawhi immediately crumples to the ground. It is a devastating injury. It's not only devastating for the game. After the two foul shots that Kawhi Leonard puts up to make them a 23-point lead, the Warriors immediately score 18 unanswered points over the next three minutes. You know who scores the first two of those 18 points? Zaza Pachulia? Zaza. Zaza fucking Pachulia! Zaza Pachulia knocks Kawhi Leonard out of the series. They sweep him. It's 58-33 the rest of that game, and it's a score like that for much of the rest of the series. Because, again, Kawhi Leonard, at worst, second-best player at the NBA at this time. I'll swear by that. I don't really get a chance to swear by that anymore after that, because that injury stays protracted. In fact, that injury is essentially the end of the Spurs dynasty. Zaza Pachulia, war criminal absolute at-large assassin who needs to be brought to justice at The Hague, hurt Kawhi Leonard, and then Uncle Dennis got involved, egos clashed in the locker room. Zaza Pachulia killed the true dynasty of the Spurs. Now, I love the Spurs now. There's a new blossoming core, there's a new chapter, but it didn't need to end the way it did, except fucking Zaza Pachulia. So anyway, Zaza Pachulia, you banned. You know, Zaza Pachulia, worst person from the country of Georgia since uh, since Yosef Jugashvili. Anyone who wants to look that up can on their own. And Herschel Walker. On your own. Don't forget about Herschel Walker, famous I, Georgian, who we all hate. Well, I talked about the country of Georgia, and, you know, so... the So am I, yeah. This is the secret that's going to come out in St. Herschel Walker's campaign. He's actually a Georgian national. I love, um... Excuse me, I shouldn't be saying I love about anybody with this. But when you brought up Zaza as a war criminal, his all-star campaign is actually, that's how deep it runs. It wasn't that it was being swarmed by Mavericks fans. 
he was pumping in votes from Georgia. There was such a disproportionate yeah. amount of NBA.com votes that came from Georgia. So truly, it goes to the very top of the Georgian government. And right now they're Walker. working to do the exact same thing for Herschel Walker. And all I'm saying is, Department of Justice, when you hear this, please investigate Zaza Pachulia, lock him up where he belongs. Anyway, who you got next, Diaz? So who I have next, I, I referenced with Nate Robinson. Part of his embarrassment is his boxing. And the entirety of the embarrassment for this person is his boxing, because he is a boxer. One of the great wasted talent cases in the history of the sport and internet meme because of him admitting how terrible he is. I'm talking about A.B. Adrian Broner. Now, Adrian Broner, first to illustrate the talent that he had. There are only 21 boxers in the history of the sport to hold at least one world title in four different weight classes. He is one of those 21. However, with that being said, he is the most delusional boxer in the history of his sport. At the end of 2012, mostly based on his hype and his potential, he is ranked number five in the pound-for-pound pound rankings to conclude 2012. So that's all boxers across all weight classes. Who do you think is the best in the sport? Fifth. Okay. Very admirable. He, early in 2013, has a fight to go to 27-0 and 0 to claim that fourth belt. Beats Pauli Malignaggi. Now, Adrian, very immature in his post-fight in-ring interview. At the time, I thought this was hilarious. I do have to concede. He says, I came in here. I beat Paulie. I took his belt and his girl. Now, Adrian Broner in the lead up to this fight had brought Paulie Malignaggi's ex-girlfriend to the press conferences as his guest. <laughs> it has since been confirmed that he did, in fact, have relations with Paulie Malignaggi's ex-girlfriend during fight week. Was it exclusively for this? Like, did he never talk to her again after the fight as far as we know? Never again. It, it was strictly for this purpose. He said he found her on Twitter. This was like the early days of Twitter 2012. Anything went down on Twitter back then. Slid in the DMs, said, come on over. And so she did. And so he laid the seeds for the ultimate mind game. Objectively <laughs> funny. Objectively funny. However, his next fight is where things start going backwards for him. So he fights Marcos Maidana. Maidana is best known for... Having two fights with Floyd Mayweather, in which he lost majority and unanimous, but narrow decisions. Fought very well against Floyd. But in this Maidana-Burner fight, in round one, since he wasn't able to find Maidana's girlfriend, he thought that he would get a little action with Maidana himself. So he turned him around as like an antic and ended up humping Maidana a couple times. This was not a smart decision because the boxer that they call El Chino got really upset turned that into deciding to dominate the fight so much to the point that in round 11 he was so far ahead that he then actually returned a favor to Broner and after he had him turned around in the corner returned the humps he who humps not, last humps best he who humps last humps best and this would begin the the downward spiral of Adrian Broner his next notable fight would be to Manny Pacquiao and this was his most embarrassing thing, and this is why I think he just cannot be allowed in, because he's absolutely delusional. Fights Manny Pacquiao. Manny Pacquiao is an all-time great boxer. Manny Pacquiao is the only boxer to ever be a world champion in eight different weight classes. The most that anybody else has ever done it is six. That being Oscar De La Hoya, he's the only person to even have six. So, Manny's great. Adrian Brunner should have no shame in losing, and it's not a close fight. 
he loses a unanimous decision, 116 to 112 on two of the cards, 117 to 111 on the third. So at most giving four rounds to Adrian Broner. Immediately after the fight, Pacquiao gives a very gracious interview. Broner was a good fighter, blah, blah, blah. And then when they go to interview Broner, he immediately jumps into accusing the judges of being corrupt and robbing him of the fight. He says, the hood knows I beat that boy. I controlled the whole fight. The whole crowd is just raucously booing him as he's saying this. Like, they're like, the whole hood is immediately disagreeing. Like, do not speak for us, Adrian. Truly, the people have spoken, and they don't fuck with them. One of the funniest things is immediately after he says, I beat that boy, I controlled the fight, Jim Gray, the interviewer, says, eight punches was the most that you landed in any round. Just very matter-of-factly dressing him down. Uh, and then he said, this is where I really got the most pathetic. Adrian, you're 3-3-1 in your last seven fights. Where do you go from here? And Adrian said, yeah, well, if it was all seven fights against you, I'd be 7-0. and And Jim Gray just immediately said, well, that wouldn't be very impressive, would it? I think this interview's over. So just... That's to Jim Gray. Hell yeah. Jim Gray really just verbally dominated him. Much as he had just been physically dominated by Manny Pacquiao. But to this day, he's in denial about both of those. And the internet meme that he is in, you always see it on Twitter. Usually in a self-deprecating tweet where somebody is acknowledging that they have been bested. They will tweet the video of Adrian Broner saying, I ain't gonna lie, I'm getting cooked. That is Adrian <laughs> Broner. So... Some funny moments, but I would say that they are moments that are funny because of his delusions and because of his assholery, which are characteristics that we do not want to honor in this hall. And also wasted talent. It is an absolute waste and is a disservice to his sport that Adrian Broner did not capitalize on his skills to become a better boxer than he was. And now he will only live as an internet meme and he will never live as a Hall of Guy inducted. While it is an excellent punishment that he already has to live on a meme, it is even more appropriate for him to have this other punishment lumped on. Adrian Brunner, you banned. Xavier, you got anyone else that you want to lay into? Yeah, so, you know, I was thinking about the Knicks and who's hurt the Knicks. Uh, so I was thinking back in history. It's like, 94, we were killed by Hakeem. Hakeem's too good. 99, killed by Duncan. Duncan's too good. And plus, without Ewing, we never had a shot anyway. But... The one that really stood out to me was Roy Hibbert. <laughs> Roy Hibbert. There. So 2013, best Knicks team of my recollection, really, because, you know, that 99 team, I was six. I don't remember it. Like, I, I wasn't a big basketball guy at that point. I can't, say, I can't really say much about it. But that 2013 team, after having been a diehard Knicks fan for well over 10 years at that point, that's the team that was like, wow, we finally don't suck. And so game six, Knicks down 3-2 in the series, but winning 92-90 with five minutes left. All the momentum. If they win that, they take it to game seven at the Garden. And I am fully convinced that they would win that game seven at the Garden. Mello drives for a dunk to put him up four. And Roy Hibbert comes out of nowhere and completely stuffs Carmelo Anthony. Changes the whole game. They score 16 points over the next five minutes, end up winning by seven. Then, obviously, we know what happens next. They face the Heat in the finals. Heat then go on to beat the Spurs in the finals. And who knows? If the Knicks win that game, maybe they beat the Heat and then lose to the Spurs, and the Spurs and James have another championship. 
The world may you never know. Beaten the Spurs. You might have beaten the Spurs in 2013. It's possible. We did have uh, fucking Chris Copeland off the bench raining threes in Amon Schumpert with the putbacks. But Roy Hibbert averaged 17 points per game and 10 boards during that playoff run. He never averaged more than 12 for a full season. And within two years after this, he's averaging five and five as a backup on the Lakers. And then two years later, two years after that, he's out of the league. But this he's is unplayable. His, yeah. And like just this a is couple his one of thing. years. This is his one well, thing. And he knows it's his one thing because he blew up two posters of him blocking Melo and has two of them around his house. It wasn't enough for him to have one of these. He had to have two. It's like he shows up for one one magical like three week, four week uh, you know, stretch, gets this block on a future Hall of Famer, and then makes sure to put pictures of it all around his house when he goes and does nothing else after that. The thing I want to say with Roy Hibbert's quick fall from grace, I think he is the defensive version of what happened to Jalil Okafor. Like, he was great at this one thing that with the way that basketball evolved, the fact that he wasn't able to guard out on the perimeter immediately made him, like, extinct. That Indiana core is just so underachieving. My God, y'all have Paul George right here. He was defensive second team one year. He was a genuinely good defensive player. That Pacers team was very strong and then just got absolutely wiped out by the game changing and none of them being able to really cope with it. Uh, Roy Hibbert, you banned. You know what's funny? Before we move on, I'll give you both one guess at what the last team he played for was. I didn't even realize he played for this team at any point. I know the answer already, so I'll let you James guess. Hawks? The Denver Nuggets was the, the last Denver team he played for. The Denver Nuggets! I think I did deep down know that, but I couldn't come up with it. Roy Hibbert on the Nuggets. Bizarre. That's that's some Hakeem Olajuwon in a Raptors jersey shit. Yeah, Roy Hibbert and Nikola Jokic were teammates at one point in history. That's incredible. Got it. That's <laughs> such a good trivia nugget to hold on to for someday. Ha! Nugget. That is... Oh, I love that. <laughs> no, that is truly... As we talk about Roy Hibbert growing extinct, it's only fair that like the, the most unique of the center evolution be the person to pass him by. But right. on from Roy. Yeah, no, we hate Roy Hibbert. You know who else we hate? Tim Thomas. We despise Tim Thomas. We do. We, we do. We we all I'm, we all just clarify. We're not talking about basketball, Tim Thomas. We're no, no, no. About... We're not talking about basketball, Tim Thomas. This is hockey, Tim Thomas. Could not be in more agreement. Want to start off by saying Roberto Luongo? I think greatest goalie to never win a Vezina trophy. I think that is pretty indisputable. Finished top ten ten times. Finished top four four times. Two of those top four finishes, 2009-2011. Want to take a guess as to who won? Team Thomas. Fraudulent backstop of the Boston Bruins, Timothy Thomas. So here's the thing that I think is the problem with Tim Thomas. American media wanted so badly, oh man, look at this down-home American Midwest boy who put his time in and the, the minor leagues like slowly came up and now he's in, now he's in Boston. Yeah, he's going to fucking be a goalie for the Bruins. And just it, it fit all of these narratives that they wanted to fit. So they're like, yeah, give all of the awards to Tim Thomas. The 2011 season in particular is why we are going to ban Tim Thomas from this hall forever. Tim Thomas, noted piece of garbage after this time, is coming off having just finished with a silver medal as part of the U.S. team. So everybody loves Tim Thomas and Ryan Miller from that. 
do you want to say? I don't want Ryan Miller to catch any strays here. I got nothing against Ryan Miller. Put in some good years with Vancouver. Back to Tim Thomas, though, who I absolutely would not mind catching some strays. It's the 2011 season. It's the 40th anniversary for the Canucks. It's the first ever time that they win the President's Trophy. In the first round, they face the Chicago hockey team for the third straight season in the playoffs. And rather than losing, as they did the previous two, they go 3 nothing. And then promptly almost lose because they drop the next three games and go to overtime in Game 7 before Alex Burrows finally slays the Dragon. We defeat the Chicago hockey team. We move on all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. We go up 2-0. We do eventually find ourselves in Game 7. Now, this the votes had already been cast for the Vezina Trophy prior to this. That's how it works, obviously. But it, it did certainly seem like we were looking at the finalists coming into this final game. In Game 7, a game I was not able to actually watch on broadcast. I had to sit next to a friend in the middle of the woods who had ESPN and just slowly watch the app. And I just slowly had to watch as the app ticked up to a 4 nothing win for the Boston Bruins. The first ever shutout by an away team in a Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Orchestrated by Tim Thomas, becomes the oldest ever Smythe winner, wins the Vezina. Also then becomes the only Bruins teammate to not go to the White House ceremony after this because he's an incredibly libertarian person. And he, and someone that I'm going to mention later when we go through a lightning round of people we want to ban, he becomes one of the first incredibly online shithead libertarian athletes from this point forward, <laughs> which is good for him. It's the only way he's able to stay notable because his career craters. So he's an old man and is terrible at hockey. And so Tim Thomas becomes a garbage athlete and also a garbage person online spewing garbage and has continued to do that to this day. So for that reason and for everything that we've previously said, I want to make sure that Tim Thomas never again gets anywhere near the Hall of Guy. Sorry, yeah, did, did, did we both see the same uh, the same sleeper notification at the same time? Alabancaro just went uh, first overall. Um, but anyway, yes, fuck Tim Thomas. I, there's, okay, there's no easy way for me to transition now. I'm just going to do it. Yeah, no, I mean, feel free to just add some more evidence if you want to say <laughs> some more things you hate about Tim Thomas. Well, no, I mean, just, I mean, fuck Tim Thomas. As you said, many could say that the divisiveness of our modern-day politics could be drawn back on a straight line to Tim Thomas. I've clearly worked up a little bit about Tim Thomas because I hate him and because that Game 7 loss in 2011 still hurts very, very much. All of that to say, I don't want it to be exaggerated when I think Tim Thomas and other individuals at the time, athletes right at that cusp of 2011-2012, I think are a genuine major influencing force in why people are all so terrible on the internet now. Fuck Tim Thomas. Fuck people who are terrible on the internet. Fuck people who are terrible at running their organizations, their leagues. And the next person that I want to bring up runs a league that everybody watches at least once a year. It's a very quick event. And it's an event where people shove as many hot dogs as they possibly could into their mouths. The person that I want to ban is the person that has denied us the greatest rivalry, potentially in sports history. Could have been Joey Chestnut and Kobayashi. However, we will never get to see Takeru Kobayashi and Joey Chestnut compete in a 4th of July Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest again. Because this fucking dickhead, Richard Shea, who runs Major League Eating, thinks that he is more important than his sport. I do think every commissioner thinks they're more important than their own sport at this point. So that's totally fair. Um, I think Roger Goodell is just a literal puppet for the owners. But anyway, Richard Shea is no puppet. Richard Shea thinks himself more of a puppet master. As we alluded, 
he banned Kobayashi from competing in the hot dog eating contest. Essentially, what it amounts down to, and if you want a deeper dive on this, cannot recommend the 30 for 30 on this topic enough. But what it really comes down to is Kobayashi wants to be able to compete in any events that he chooses to compete in. Richard Shea said, you can only compete in major league eating events. Kobayashi said, fuck that, I'm a free person. And Richard Shea then banned him from the hot dog eating contest because he would not sign an exclusivity deal. Now, would that have been better for Richard Shea? Sure. But what he ends up doing is costing not only himself, but costing all of us from being able to see what could have been a truly incredible rivalry. Joey Chestnut was the first person that was ever able to come in and challenge Kobayashi and defeat Kobayashi. Who knows what that rivalry looks like today if both of those two are dedicating themselves as much as possible to their hot dog eating. But here's what really just rubs it in for me, how much of a fucking asshole this guy is. Not only is Kobayashi banned from competing in any more hot dog eating contests, he's getting the Pete Rose treatment because he's also removed from their wall of fame. He was in the wall of fame and now he no longer is. So if Richard Shea thinks that he has the power to remove people who were rightly elected to his hall, I say that there is never a chance that he should be allowed to grace our hall, to witness our hall, to see our hall, to provide the catering for our hall. (laughs) He can't do anything. He can have nothing to do with this hall because he's a fucking dickhead. He looks and acts like a dickhead. He cannot be allowed into the Hall of God. I couldn't agree more. I mean, we're, as you may know, if you listen to us every week, we're fierce supporters of the Association of Independent Competitive Eaters. That is the eating one that allows you to, you know, compete anywhere you would like to as an athlete. And athletes signed with that are often banned from MLE. The other thing that we're denied at the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest is the participation of perhaps the greatest competitive eater of all time, Molly Schuyler. Molly Schuyler cannot compete in the hot dog eating contest because she is an AICE eater rather than an MLE eater. So Richard Shea, Dick Shea, if you will, is denying us both the Kobayashi, Choey Chestnut rivalry and just more sheer dominance by Molly Schuyler. Again, a person who ate over 500 wings in an hour. Like, you want to not put that on television? You're just passing up good publicity at this point, Dick Shea. Fuck Dick Shea. Get the fuck out. Richard Shea, you banned. All right, now, Xavier, I know you don't have a whole lot of hate in your heart. Do you have hate in your heart left for anybody else? Yes, yes, I still, I came up with, with a couple. I had three full and a couple rapid fires if we got into it. So I, I, I could still go. But the, uh, the next guy I want to make sure can never grace our illustrious hall is uh, Justin Williams. That's so, a lot of hatred um, for Justin Williams? Yes. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to respect this, but I just need to say, Justin Williams was a great flyer. But if I did it to Nate, please tell me about Justin. Justin Williams was a great flyer when you were 10 years old and not since then. You know, I, I'll, I'll give that to you. But so Justin Williams, very lengthy 20-plus year NHL career. Never the best player, but somehow very, very good in the playoffs, especially against one specific team. So Justin Williams... Con Smythe Trophy winner in the 2014 Stanley Cup Final against my beloved New York Rangers. The most recent time I have seen one of my teams make the championship for anything. And 
He, despite only having, I think, 43 points in 80-plus games in the regular season, had 25 points in 26 playoff games that year. And then in the Stanley Cup final, game one, wins it in overtime. Game two, three assists. Game five, scores the first goal to set the tone for the the Kings uh, championship uh, winning. In five games, seven points, a goal and six assists. Again, this is not a guy who is known for his scoring. But for some reason, just in the playoffs, especially against uh, against the Rangers, just was the best player on the ice. On two teams that had some incredible players. I mean, Anze Kopitar was fantastic for the Kings that year. And he's, from all accounts, a fantastic person. So I would not want to ban Anze. But Justin Williams, just killing the Rangers then. And then six years later, he's on the Hurricanes again. You know, one of the teams he'd previously been on. And he plays against the Rangers in that fake hub playoffs in 2020 when they just had the extra 24-team qualifying playoff. He starts it off by beating the crap out of uh, Ryan Strom just a couple minutes into the game, pretty much for no reason. And then afterwards, talks about how he was pissed that the Rangers' goal song was used during the game. He said, aren't we the home team? Shouldn't only our goal song be used? When they're in a bubble hub thing where they specifically had like no actual home team because they're in a bubble, not in the United States, just for a three-game fake playoff thing. And he gets annoyed at the goal song. I'm like, you've already kept the Rangers from winning a Stanley Cup once before, and you've won three at this point. Why is this the thing that annoys you? For some reason, Justin Williams just does not like the Rangers and made sure they all know about it. You've got January Joe Flacco, and you've got, I guess, June Justin Williams. Um, His nickname sometimes guys just Mr. turn it on. Game seven. Like, has God, any, has any like player that. has any player who's been like worse overall? Like, again, he was a solid player for twenty years, but he was never a great player. Has any player you know had a nickname like that without having you know a more distinguished regular season, like career? Because I, I can't think of one. You could say Robert Ory is similar. I think how many how many championships true. did Big Shot Rob win? Seven. Was it seven? That's crazy. He won two with the Rockets. He won three with the Seven. Lakers. He's got seven. And two with the Spurs. Wow. I was about to say, he got at least two with the Spurs. Big, big, at least Big Shot Rob, has, he, he won a lot of them. But that, that is a good pull. That is a, good, that is a very similar, similar pull. Well, immediately after that 2011 season, the, the Kings victimized the second ever Canucks team to win the President's Cup that then became the first ever one seed to lose by sweep to an eight seed in the playoffs. So anyone from that 2012-2014 Kings core, Xavier, I'm more than happy to hate them alongside you, I promise. <laughs> Cue the picture you, of Gimli and Legolas next to one another. Uh, well, real quick, real quick. Justin Williams, you banned. Uh, who do I want to include next? I'll tell you. I'll tell you, this one is a quartet. It's a quartet of very old gentlemen from the turn of the century, 1800s into 1900s. They are linked for a specific reason. I'm going to weave you a little story here, tell you a tapestry. There was a wildly successful Orioles team in the American Association in Baltimore from 1882 to 1899. They won the Temple Cup three times during that in three consecutive years in the early and mid-90s. 
they uh, invent the Baltimore chop, which was that thing where you just hit like a ball directly at the ground and then run to first base while it bounced up into the air. It's great, <laughs> time. great time. Many Hall of Famers. Wee Willie Keeler among them, just my favorite name. Here's the thing. The first of these four men, Harry Vonderhorst, is their owner, who also becomes owner of the Brooklyn Superbas, later to become the Brooklyn and then Los Angeles Dodgers. In 1898, after a second-place finish following that three-year stretch of Temple Cups, he takes the general manager and all of the best players from the Baltimore Orioles and moves them to the Brooklyn Superbots. Understandably, the Baltimore Orioles do incredibly badly the next year, in 1899, and following that year, the American Association decides they need to contract, and because the Orioles were the worst team that year, the Baltimore Orioles get wiped off the face of the earth. So, Harry Vonderhorst to number one. Number two is someone that decides to take advantage of this. The president of the nascent American League at this time, Ban Johnson, appropriately enough, is his name. Ban Johnson sees that there is a moment to try and seize on a weakness from the National League, and he tries to start a new league, has a bunch of teams set up in cities that are currently lacking baseball that's serving them, so Baltimore is one of them, gives them a Baltimore Orioles team again. But he also makes it very clear that he's going to try and threaten the National League, and the way that the National League can appease him by allowing him to have a New York team. What he does is he gives the Orioles team to uh, Orioles legend from the olden times, John McGraw, also the guy that invented duck pin bowling, which is a very specific kind of bowling found apparently only in the Baltimore, Maryland area, where you have a tiny ball and tiny pins and throw three times per frame. It's fun. I didn't know there was other bowling until I was like 13. I was very confused. That's incredible. TV is where I was like, wait, hold on. That looks significantly different than what I'm accustomed to. Anywho, back to why I hate these people. So Ban Johnson is undermining John McGraw the entire time because Ban Johnson doesn't care about this franchise because he's pretty sure it's the one he's going to move to New York. John McGraw says, fine, you want a New York team so bad, you deal with that. So John McGraw up and leaves and gets equity in the New York Giants, who are the National League New York team at that time, gets a bunch of the Baltimore Orioles players to follow him to New York. So he's like, fine, you want it? You can have an American League New York team. I'm going to go make the New York Giants a dynasty for a while. This is the final thing that allows them to say, oh, well, you know, we don't have an owner anymore. Guess we got to cut this Baltimore team out. I wonder if we have anyone that might want to purchase it in New York now that we're doing so well against the National League because we've doubled the salaries of all the players. There are, in fact, two individuals. Some corrupt Tammany Hall politicians, including the first ever commissioner of the New York Police Department. They are Frank Farrell and future commissioner William Stephen Divery. They're like, yeah, we've got corrupt Tammany Hall money. We'll go ahead and buy your franchise, and we'll set it up in the Bronx, and we'll call them the Highlanders. A couple years later, they're like, you know what? We don't like that Highlanders name so much. We're going to call them the Americans. A couple years later, we don't like that Americans name so much. Why don't we go with the Yankees? Everything that the Yankees have was stolen from Baltimore. It all rightfully belongs to this city. Four individuals, Harry Vonderhorst, Frank Farrell, William Stephen Devery, and Ban Johnson, most of all, have... have robbed us of our rightful 27 championships. And for that reason, I want all four of them to be blacklisted into eternity. I'm cracking up because this is, that was the most circuitous route of just, I hate the Yankees. Can we ban the entire team of the Yankees? If not, can we ban the history of the Yankees? And 
You know what? I, I, Did you I, know I, that one of your team's original owners was a corrupt Tammany Hall politician that was also the first commissioner of the New York Police Department? Because I, mean, I did the, not until today. It, it, it doesn't surprise me, but I mean, it just reminds me of the fact that the Rangers in the 40s were de facto owned by James Norris, who also owned the Red Wings. And the thing was, he couldn't own two teams. So he just bought the controlling stake in Madison Square Garden and controlled the board of directors. So what he did was he traded all of the Rangers' good players to the Red Wings, and the Red Wings won multiple championships. And the Rangers had a season where they gave up 310 goals in 50 games and were the worst team for about 14 years straight because he just kept giving all of their best players to the Red Wings because he could do that. I'm just thinking about that with if that was how the Orioles-Yankees thing went. I mean, no, instead how it went is we didn't have any baseball for 50 years and you won like 16 championships during that time. Hey, you weren't alive during that point. You've gotten to, you've gotten to see baseball since, since then. Yes, no, Baltimore has baseball now. And the team that I hate more than anything is a championship team that was stolen from us by crooks and liars and worst of all, police commissioners. <laughs> it goes to the very top. Henry Vonderhorst, Frank Farrell, William Stephen Devery, and of course, most of all, Ban Johnson, you banned. Get them all out of here. Get them all uh, out of here. Now we just kind of want to go quick fire. There's some others that aren't even worthy of these longer presentations. We just want to real quick get in, fuck this guy, get out. So you can go kind of round robin in the same order. Uh, if anybody ever runs out, that's absolutely fine. But I want to start first, Nandi Asamoah. Biggest fucking bus cornerback signing in the history of the Philadelphia Eagles. Always went to eat lunch by himself in his car instead of eating lunch with the team. Fucking weirdo behavior for a person that's playing perhaps the sport where team camaraderie is most important. Fuck you, Namdi Asimov. I want to ban uh, Ryan Shawcross. Ryan Shawcross, soccer player for England. And I remember him from Stoke City, even though he just recently played in uh, Miami for Inter-Miami last year. And I think he's still a coach there. But so, Ryan Shawcross, somehow very good at breaking people's legs uh, or in, and severely injuring them, especially if they're an Arsenal player or somewhat related. 2007, late tackle, destroys the leg of ex-Arsenal player Francis Jeffers. 2008, goes studs up. Out off the pitch, Emmanuel Adebayor is already off the pitch. The ball is gone, goes studs up into his leg, knocks him out for a couple weeks. And then the biggest one in 2010, young 19-year-old Aaron Ramsey going for a ball. Shawcross goes studs up, compound fracture, breaks Ramsey's leg in multiple places. It takes Ramsey almost two years to fully recover from it. And Shawcross obviously gets booed by Arsenal fans for the rest of his career. And takes it as a sign of, uh, I'm just playing regular uh, football. These Arsenal players, they're actually the ones who were the dangerous ones, and I think it's disgusting what they do. They shouldn't treat me like this. I've only broken three players' legs into multiple multiple places. Ryan Shawcross, very dirty player. Player who never admitted he was dirty and always said it was someone else's fault. And now gets to celebrate living in Miami. Who, Ryan Shawcross. Uh, also banned. I have already taken care of the original architects of the Yankees. I want to take care of the most integral part of the modern Yankee dynasty. Need to make sure that I ban this person. Uh, the key to every single championship that they've had in the last 20 so years. Uh, Jeffrey Mayer, you banned. Get the fuck That's out. not where I thought you were going to go. Okay. Get the fuck out, Jeffrey Mayer. 
Jeffrey Mayer is a person that had no skill, and who else had no skill is Scott Stevens. Scott Stevens was a defenseman for the New Jersey Devils in the late 90s, early 2000s. He would not be able to exist in the modern-day NHL, and that's because of two things. First of all, in the modern NHL, they have gotten rid of a lot of the hits to the head, so you can't blatantly stick your fucking elbow out and take out Eric Lindros in Game 7, you fucking loser. And the other thing that is new with the game today is that the players are actually all really talented and skilled. So if you have no talent and your entire thing is just that you injure people, you're not going to make it in the league anymore. So Scott Stevens, you wouldn't exist in the modern NHL, and you will never exist in any form of this hall. Modern, future, ancient, at all times, banned. Fuck you. Xavier. Yeah, I got one more. The only other time where I've felt real pain from, from a loss, enough to hate a player. We've already talked about the 2001 World Series on this. Damian Miller, the first unofficial official inductee into the Hall of Guy. Damian Miller, he's cool. Luis Gonzalez, not cool. Screw you, Luis Gonzalez. You, you ruined uh, young eight-year-old Xavier's dreams of an incredible four-peat that he will never see again, most likely. I don't like Luis Gonzalez. He can go away. Luis Gonzalez, you banned for making it so Xavier could only see three consecutive championships. I know, How only three. Incredibly thoughtless of you, Luis only Gonzalez. Only four in five years. I mean, it's, it's awful, right? One thing I hate is when Orioles players leave the Orioles and then do a bunch of things where they win awards and championships all the time. One of the first ones to do that, and the most divorced person in the history of mankind. This is also one of the counterparts of Tim Thomas in the I'm going to be a terrible libertarian online all the time. Aubrey Huff, you banned. <laughs> I literally wrote down Aubrey Huff when you were mentioning Tim Thomas. I was like, oh, Aubrey needs to be fucking banned if, if, if James isn't already on it. So thank you for getting well, that. You no, know I'm on it. We're going to stick with baseball for my next one. This is just a random summer baseball game that I was watching in 2011. Pirates, Braves. Pirates were doing pretty good that year. Um, I believe they're actually first in the Central. And then the whole season turned around and started going downhill when in the 19th inning of Pirates, Braves, uh, they very clearly get the out at the plate uh, for out number two. But Jerry Meals, with his fat ass behind home plate, decided that it was time to go home. So after blatantly getting the out at home plate with the tag play, Jerry said that the tag was not there, was not in time. And the guy did not even reach home plate. That's what's fucking annoying him on it. On his initial slide, he doesn't even touch home plate. And then when he's ruled safe, he actually is real quick like, oh, let me touch the base because I never fucking did that. So he was never safe. He was always out. Jerry Meals ruining and not allowing us to see that incredible baseball game, which we'll never get to see games like that again anymore with the way that the regular season rules are. We're never going to get to any 19 again. Jerry Meals, you did not appreciate it when you were there, and you will appreciate the fact that you were never allowed here because you're banned. He's banned, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and ban the team that has caused me more pain than probably anything else in sports ever. Uh, every single member of the 2014-2015 Kansas City Royals roster. Just all of you across the board, banned. Jeremy Guthrie, how could you do that to us? We banned Jim Joyce, too. Just uh, I've got Jim Joyce and Angel Hernandez actually further down here. Okay. There we go. Jim Joyce, Jim Angel Joyce. Hernandez. Ooh. You're banned. Do your jobs Ooh. better. Robots should replace you. Oh, I like Jim Joyce because Jim Joyce actually cried and was accountable. You know what? Actually, yeah, 
we were being hasty on Jim Joyce. Jim Joyce apologizes. I think if we're going to do anyone, just focus on Angel Hernandez. Jim Joyce, like, sat down with Armando Galarraga. They've, like, written a book together. I was too hasty. I was letting the hate flow through me. I was getting very Sith, and I apologize for that. And the idea that Armando Galarraga didn't throw a perfect game, because he did. Armando Galarraga and Harvey Haddix both threw perfect games. <laughs> they both absolutely did. Um, so, I mean, while we're at it, why don't we ban Rob Manfred? Fuck sure. Rob Manfred. Hates his sport. Has the power right now to just... Because commissioners with the waiver risk can say, like, oh, yeah, we're counting that as a perfect game now. Because, like, who really fucking cares? Like, because they, they won the game on the next out anyway. So, like, who cares if whoever that fucking guy that got the hit and whoever got an extra at-bat with the ground out... Just change it. You, you can do it with the flick of the wrist. And for not doing that, Rob Manfred, you're fucking banned. Stand on baseball. Also, Zach Hampel. Sorry, Zach Hampel, get out of here. Done with you. Which was Zach Hampel? That's Zach the, Hampel the is the guy, guy who, like, yeah, yeah, he's the dude who runs over children to catch balls. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolute scumbag. Yeah, get him out. Person that didn't run over children, presumably, but may have. Um, we referenced the mouse at the palace earlier. Uh, I want to ban John Green. John Green, of course, is the fan who did throw the beer and it landed on Ron Artest. I know we like to celebrate the fan. We, of course, are fans ourselves. But I think it's important that we do not allow any kind of hooliganism in our hall. So, John Green, don't even think about it. Do not pass go. You will never be allowed to purchase a ticket because you are banned from the hall. Absolutely. Uh, also, you know, if we're just talking about, like, embarrassments sports, uh, something I would like to ban is just the Sacramento Kings. Just the Sacramento Kings organization. I think it's the most embarrassing thing about professional sports in North America today, and I, I don't think we can stand for it anymore. Get them the fuck out. Um, the other thing I want to ban is basketball shots that hit the rim three times or more. It should just not count at that point. <laughs> you get past three bounces. It's, it's like 19th bullshit. century baseball. You get the one bounce where it's still on the fly, and then after that, the ball is dead. It's dead. It doesn't fucking count. It's bullshit because you can tell me that you intended to get a one bouncing in. You had the angle right. Nobody tries to hit the rim fucking four times, and it shouldn't count. Basketball shots that hit the rim more than three times. Fucking banned. While we're talking about rules, I've got a few of those I'd like to touch on. Uh, the NFL overtime rules, no, I don't have a better solution, but I don't think that stops me from being able to complain. They're not good, so they're banned. NHL shootouts, I'm sorry, just embrace the tie. Ban NHL shootouts during the regular season as actually mattering for anything. Uh, and also salary caps. Sorry, it's just another word for deflating the wages artificially of athletes who provide sports for us. And they don't mean anything anyway. Just ask everybody in the NFL. So Exactly. Uh, while we're talking about just like general concepts, also corporate logos on jerseys. Sorry, you banned. But you don't like, uh, it, I don't have one of the new Knicks jerseys, but they you don't like the little Squarespace logo that they got on them? They're like making an internet announcement over what the next Spurs one is going to be. They're trying to like play it up as an event. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up to like have some fun release video for what corporate sponsor is going to be on this. That's part of the thing that has kept me away from soccer for all these. I was going to say, yeah, as a soccer fan, that's never bothered me because we've had fly Emirates on our shirt for years. Yeah, no, we'll make an exception for football. But yeah, if we if we want to get back to uh, people that we're banning, in the words of Ryan Miller, gutless piece of shit, Milan Lucic, you banned. I have just one more that I want to ban, and that would be numbers that have no meaning. It is absurd that the Pac-12 has, what, 10 teams now, I think. The Big 12 has 10 teams. The Big 10 has 16 teams. What the fuck are we doing? This is nonsense. 
Don't name your conference after a number if you're not going to adhere to that number. It was stupid when Penn State was the 11th team in the Big Ten, and we should have drawn a line in the sand there. As happens with many things with Penn State, we let it get out of control. And now it's fucking just absolutely reckless, and nobody wants anything to do with this nonsense. Fuck numbers that have no meaning. Fuck those conferences. Speaking of things that we let get incredibly out of hand, next person that I want to ban is the first person to play God Bless the USA at a sporting event. You're banned. Uh, other people that I want to ban, this is not a, a person entirely, but one of their jobs specifically. Drake serving as an official ambassador for the Raptors, I'm tired of that. I'm sorry, just be a fan like Jack Nicholson or something. You don't get to have a job title with them for the same reason that like we don't want people taking a roster spot during practice camp for a football team just to relive their little egos. Uh, so Drake serving as their ambassador banned. And finally, this one is for you, Diaz, the entire Colangelo family. you banned. Thank you. Thank you. I knew I was forgetting somebody. Brian and Jerry. You know what's funny? So, recently, I don't know what struck me, but I just re-listened to all of the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcasts. There was four of them from the two weeks period between when Burner Gate was first reported in the Rainer and when Brian Colangelo was actually fired. It took them two weeks to come to the decision to fire him. And it was just insanity that they held on that long. The power that they somehow wield over the NBA is insane to me uh fuck both of them and brian's son that played like some at some shitty d2 school you're also banned i don't even know your name but you're banned too <laughs> no need for us to find a new slant incredible well, i okay. think i think i think we've covered a lot of good ground here it, it does feel good to let the hate flow through you every once in a while it is a a critical part of sports for me is kind of the catharsis of I can go to somewhere where it is socially acceptable for me to vent a lot of anger at people that will never know me in any real capacity, and we can all be mad at each other and then also recognize that none of it matters in the slightest, and, and it's all a game. I'm, I, I don't think that, for instance, Xavier holds any responsibility for the crimes of the other four gentlemen that I enlisted earlier. Sorry, five if we're including Mr. Mayor. It's good to, to be angry and, and have that outlet and... You know what? If you have anyone that you would like for us to consider for banning, we're here to hate alongside you. As much as we're here to remember and love people. There's a lot of that positivity. We can come through the treacle every once in a while. It's important to have the yin and the yang. We had a lot of yang in this episode. Yeah, there's a lot of balance. We now can go back to a lot more positivity. We hope that while you enjoyed this detour, you will indeed enjoy that positivity once again in the future. We'll be back with some more alternative programming next week. More details to come. Probably when the episode starts next week, and likely not before then. We like to keep some suspense. Just as with Mr. Celery, there needs to be still a little bit kayfabe. Helps to build the lore. Uh, anything else you guys got on the way out? Uh, so, we had to cut out a little bit earlier because Xavier and I were thrilled to see that Paolo Bancaro went first overall in the NBA draft. This is coming out on Monday, but I just want to say, I just want to get my one NBA draft take on the record. It's the right decision. Paolo Bancaro is going to be by far the best player in this draft. It's not particularly close. I also like that that means Woj was very wrong. Woj was Woj very was wrong, wrong earlier today. Woj, for once, his spoiling has been foiled. It has been overturned and has not ruined the draft for everybody. And now, just because of that one that he got wrong, I'm never going to 100% believe it again. So like, <laughs> yeah. the mystique just, of the draft yeah. is like has returned now. That's beautiful. I'm, I'm thrilled for Orlando Magic fans. I hope they enjoy that. Uh, I also just want to say thank you one more time to our sponsor, Haterade. Do you feel like a bad person because you're praying for the downfall of your enemies? Don't sweat it. Sip on some Haterade instead. 
Perfect. That's all we have this week, folks. I've been James. I've been the very special guest, Xavier. And I'm Diaz. And as the famous Ray Charles song goes, what we did to all these guys today, hit the road, guy. Don't you come back. No more, no more, no more, no more. Uh